BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. My name is Jessica from Edmonds, Washington. I'm a Christian, and I never listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore. Oh no, now I'm going to hell. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. Welcome, one and all. Thank you for joining us on this wonderful 161st episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, as always. And sitting across from me, lulled by the peaceful sound of rain, my lovely co-host, Brittany Page. Ain't that the truth. It is real nice outside right now. I am so happy it's raining yeah. because it's been extremely hot. And I know we complain about the weather all the time <laughs> and people get sick of it. But listen, we, we don't know that people get sick of it. We just well, Brett number two gets sick of it. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, that's true. Okay. He does. And so we don't want to upset Brett number two and Allison. Yeah. You know, of course not. In Boston. I'm sure it's cold there. Right. Some now. of our oldest, most loyal fans. Yes. I mean, what are they both like 98, 100 years old now? Mm, yes. Oh, I mean, long time fans. Yes. God damn. That was a terrible joke. I don't even know what to do with it. It was so terrible. Like, I don't know how to save you from yourself. Right uh, now. There's no way. There I is know. no way. So go ahead. Proceed with your point. I, it's so terrible, your joke that you Not tried to make. That I okay, joke. Sorry. Proceed about the weather. Um, I'm just, <laughs> Wait, we should stop hating on each other. No, I'm glad. Yeah, we should stop. It's really contentious <laughs> right now. T- take it down. But it's good because we, we've been running our air conditioner almost constantly because it's yeah. been so hot. And God now damn. it finally has a break. So maybe our you know bill won't be like $300 this month. That would be great. <laughs> It is ridiculous. One of many things in California that are ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Another thing in California or in (laughs) Southern California or in Orange County, California, more specifically, home to Newport Beach and home to Laguna Beach. And it's it's the O.C. Yeah, it's the O.C. If you've watched those television programs. 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 There was just one. The OC was just one. No, I'm talking about that show on MTV. The the Hills or Laguna Beach or... Yeah, that's two of them. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. Well, there are shows that the the Raging Bitch Housewives 
of Orange County. Th- that is right here. Yeah. I thought you were talking about the OC specifically. No, show. just these TV shows that, that mm-hmm. portray where right. we live. And I guess what I'm getting at is people's rank self-interest. People's wild self-absorption to the point that they are inconsiderate of everyone else around them but for themselves. Well, most people in Orange County have money. It's a very wealthy county. Very affluent. And I'm not saying that most wealthy people are like that. It just seems to be that most people you run into that, that walk around with this sort of entitled attitude. There's also a lot of new money here. Where they got something to prove. I don't know. In my experience, people who have, have had money, like for generations, we say this with Donald Trump being in the news every fucking day, but people who have had money for generations, they have, whether it be a sense of responsibility or or they're just secure in who they are. They don't have to prove anything to anybody. Nah. Yeah, am I wrong? Nah. Anyway, let me, let me get to my point here. Please. I, you know, sorry, I interrupt right when you're starting to disagree. So we'll we'll change the subject real quick. (laughs) We can't have me disagreeing. Well, Brittany and I had a burger at a local place, like a little hole in the wall, cash only type of joint. And we're sitting there eating. And it's an odd thing because it's, it's kind of like there's music playing and the football games on, on a little TV. A soccer game. No, it was NFL, was it not? Mm, I no. Couldn't, I couldn't see the TV because of the glare of the sun. It looked like soccer to me. Anyway, there was a sporting event on. Mm-hmm. And right behind us, or right behind Brittany, I was facing the gentleman. Gentleman strong, but uh, there's a guy on his phone, on his speaker phone, talking loudly about his $4.2 billion bond that he submitted and the the other $1.2 billion this or that. And he's actually speaking to someone whom we can hear. And then he's talking loudly. And I did, I took video of him and I was going to play it so everyone could hear the jackassery in, in its beauty and its fullness. But I'm not sure about the legalities of recording someone, even though it was in public. So, but my thing is, what in the fuck is going on when someone thinks it's okay to loudly have their phone on speaker, talking loudly, having the speaker be blaring loudly while people are trying to have a meal. What is this? What is this compulsion? That's it's, not normal. It's extremely odd to me because I don't even like having like loud conversations with the people I'm with in public. I don't like to disturb others. Yes. And so when he was on his, you know, having a conversation with someone on speakerphone in a restaurant with people around him. Talking about his biz. Yeah, it's very, it was a very strange situation. But like you said, I mean, there just seems to be many inconsiderate people. Well, it's just like your parking garage at school. That's another example of it. Mm-hmm. Do you want to regale the audience <laughs> with the latest happening with the dreaded parking garage? Sure. So I was waiting for my spot, and I've already explained how the process works. You seem hesitant, and why don't you retell briefly, very briefly, but why are you hesitant? Well, because it sounds like a very hostile thing that happened, but I promise... <laughs> All right, I get it. I promise that I was not being angry 
or aggressive. I don't think I was being aggressive. I think I was just, oh, well, we'll just tell the story. Okay. So I was waiting for my parking spot in line. I already explained how it works. People wait by the stairs and the elevators on, you know, each floor for a person to come off the elevator. And then they follow the person with their car to the spot. Right. So and it's well known. That's what happens. Everybody knows. Yes. So I was the first one in line. Someone comes out. I say, hey, are you leaving? They say no. So they continue to walk. Another person comes out right after them. I said, hey, are you leaving? They said yes and pointed to where they are. So I put my car in drive. And next thing I know, someone comes up on the left and pulls in front of me quickly. And starts following them to the spot. Right. (laughs) And so I'm already like, no, 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 no. This is not happening right now. Because you waited a long time. I had been waiting like 15 to 20 minutes. And I had a, you know, I was getting nervous. I was going to be late for my class because I wasn't finding a spot. So (laughs) I'm just, I'm mentally processing the, the trepidation of Brittany Page. Yeah. So I, I pull up to where the girl is and this car is in front of me and this car puts their signal on like they're waiting for this person. Yeah, they're taking leave. the spot. And I'm sitting there like this is not happening. So I honk like three or four times. Like a courtesy, like a beep, beep, beep. Right. Just an alert. Right. Not you didn't lay on the horn. No, yeah. they were they were quick little, you know, honks. Nothing. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> right. <laughs> Except for it is a loud, aggressive horn, but... Yeah, right. Okay, so that... It's not a little Toyota Tercel horn. Yes. This is a European car, so it's it's uh, substantive. <laughs> so that didn't work. This person continues to sit there with the ticker on and waiting for this person. And yes, I call it a ticker. So I... She means turn signal. So I get out of my car and I knock on the window of this person... <laughs> Initiate aggressive. No. Could be perceived that way. So (laughs) this person is a woman. I didn't know that, but she ended up being a woman and she rolls down the window and I say, hi, I talked to this person first, so I'll be parking here. And (laughs) she just said, well, you didn't need to honk. And then she drove off and I was like, okay, that's kind of, I did need to honk. I was trying to not get out of my car. So this would be perceived (laughs) as aggressive. You know, um, I was just trying to alert you without getting out of my vehicle. Well, again, it's just another example of a weird Southern California self-absorption, self-interest disregard for everyone else. Well, and here's the thing that I feel good about. I don't think she'll do that to another person. I, that is has been my 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 operating mantra for a long time except I would get aggressive and that would be my justification. You're far more metered and reasonable in your response especially with your fellow man about things like this. I used to be pretty aggressive. Mm-hmm. And you're not. You've never been. I mean, you were maybe a school or something, but yeah, when I as was an a ad- kid. as an adult, you're you're very metered, very reasonable. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yes. That was a compliment, by the way. I know. I agree. You. What happens when someone compliments you? You. I agree with it. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you very much. That All is very right. nice of you to say. Speaking of reasonable and metered, let's do some follow-up. Oh, no. Actually, before we do follow-up, we have a message, and it kind of relates to our follow-up, so let's... Let's get to the message from the Facebook page from one of our lovely and loyal listeners. 
This is from Mallory. Mallory says, Hi, Brittany and Jesse. I just listened to your latest episode and in response to you guys speaking on what a Catholic believes and doesn't. I am not a practicing Catholic, but I was raised Catholic and attended Catholic schools till college. I do not agree with most of the things the church teaches. For example, I am pro-choice for gay rights and don't believe that people will go to hell for having premarital sex, just to name a few. I think a lot of Catholics that are my generation would fall under this category of believing in God and appreciating the comfort side of religion, but not agreeing with the persecution and control that the church tries to have over its members. So it didn't surprise me that Brittany's friend said he doesn't believe the Pope is literally the speaker for Christ. To a person who understands logic, that doesn't make sense. (laughs) Goddamn, I love our audience. I personally try and appreciate what faith can offer me when I need it, but I do not let that cloud my mind also. Thanks. Love the show. Awesome. Well, I do have a question, and I don't know if she'll be able to, which I'm sure she could just clickety-clack, type us an answer out. Um, she said in there that she doesn't believe they will go to hell. I would I would gather from the way she, she wrote that 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 means she does indeed believe there is a hell, which would further lead me to believe that she is still a person of faith, still not just a cultural Catholic, but also a spiritual Catholic. And I'm I'm not really questioning that, I, I'm or nor am I passing judgment on it, although I... I think it's crazy. I don't believe it. But I would say it surprises me that we really, I think we do have a pretty diverse audience relative to Christian, to believer and non-believer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm happy at that. I think that's great. Yes, it is great. And well, I, I mean, mean we it's... still do. I haven't scared everyone away. Right. It's mostly because <laughs> I'm so reasonable and great and right. humble. And, right. Yeah. yeah. And humble. Um, Don't forget the humble. So that that helps. But um, we really appreciate this message from Mallory. And I think she has a good point because when I did talk to this person, uh, I think that's really what it was, that they are just kind of culturally Catholic you know, they were raised with their parents saying, yeah, we're Catholic. And so then they say, yeah, I'm a Catholic. You know, they don't even yeah, know what right. it means. It's just my parents are that my family is. So I am. Um, and then kind of the specific tenets of the faith, it becomes a little more murky. Right. But you still want to have that label to yeah. kind of be with your crew. Right. And this is all in response to the Pope and the Kim Davis stuff. And actually... Since you're listening to this show, I'm assuming you are a podcast fan. And, you know, I'm not one for promoting other shows. That's not necessarily my 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 thing. Go find Returning to the Scene of the Crime. I think that's the title of the episode from This American Life this past week. Dan Savage, that's the last 15 minutes or so of the episode. And Dan Savage, uh, love podcaster, love columnist. Um, he is the, the gay guy who coined the other definition for Santorum. (laughs) Google it. If you don't know, um, he gives a talk about his mother and having grown up Catholic. And then when she was on her deathbed and, um, full disclosure, Jesse cried again. I got teary. It starts at 3748. That's right. Yeah. But right around uh, 3748, I thought it was like 3340. No, 3740. 3730. Okay. Sounds like an auctioneer. Anyway, go check that out. Go listen to that. It kind of plays right into what we're talking about with culturally Catholic and 
people struggling with their faith, especially surrounding Catholicism. So anyway, that's enough about that. Oh, well, I have something to say. All right. So what I was going to say about the part where where I cried. Um, you said teary. I said cry. Okay. When I got teary. Because um, <laughs> you're like a goddamn robot. When When you hear people get choked up. That just immediately signals something in my brain. Yeah, mirror neurons. To where I get a little lump in my throat. And, you know, when he starts getting choked up when he's telling the story, I'm just, my tears are coming out. I'm just like, oh, he's it always, crying. It always makes me wonder if I'm just always half-ass on the verge of bursting into tears at any <laughs> moment. Because it's so easy for me to transition from just passive listening to bawling. Oh, I agree. Like the story from a few weeks ago. I think it was maybe Radio Lab. With the parents who lost their child, one of their twins died, and they donated the eyes, and they were trying to track down the organs. Yeah. And I was driving in the car by myself, and was I was full on bawling. Yeah. Grown man driving down the four hundred five like a, a, a blubbering jackass. <laughs> it's anyway, good for you. So I think it's ha- I'm always a half ass ready to go. Me all too. All the time. Me too. Anyway, it might happen on this episode. Maybe we should get to the show. We're 16 minutes in. <laughs> okay, we're not perfect people. Well, speak for yourself. So, Kim Davis, I just want to address this because everybody's been sharing. There's a certain article that is trying to postulate that the Vatican is really distancing themselves from the Kim Davis thing. And I want to refute that because it's these liberals who are all gushy and mushy and in love and have these warm and fuzzy feelings for Pope Francis, when we played last week what he said on the show when asked about a government employee choosing not to issue gay marriage licenses. He said it. You can't distance yourself from that. He met with her. He did. And then there's this talk about him. Well, before he met with her, he met with a gay couple. Well, what's come out about that, Brittany? Well, the gay couple, one of the one of the partners in the gay couple was actually a longtime friend and former student from Argentina who has been in a same sex relationship for 19 years. So this is a friend, a former student of Pope Francis. They were the private audience that everybody's talking about. Oh, well, he gave a private audience to a gay couple. It's someone he knew from his past. He personally knows this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just want to say the statement that the Vatican gave regarding the Kim Davis situation. Quote, such brief greetings occur on all papal visits and are due to the Pope's characteristic kindness and availability. Okay, well, the point is he still took time to meet with Kim Davis. He used his kindness and his availability right. to take time to meet with Kim Davis. Now, he's, you can act like that's not an endorsement, but it is. He's the goddamn Pope. You took time to meet with her. Why would you do that if you hate her? <laughs> right. Or if you completely disagree with her. You, yeah. Listen, he's also not a naive man. He is a man of the world. He understands the power and the gravitas that the office of Vicar of Christ holds. He knows that it's going to be a tacit approval or endorsement of her and what she does. So don't come to me. Stop sending me the links. Seriously, stop sending me the links like this Pope is still just a wonderful, gay-loving, atheist-loving dude. Yeah, that meme's fake. Yeah, just stop. About the atheist going to heaven. Right. People, well, people have been yes. sharing that a lot as it's well. It's mistranslated. Yeah, it's yeah. not. He didn't say that. 
The other thing I want to talk about as a matter of follow-up is Saudi Arabia. We covered on the show that Saudi Arabia has been appointed to the UN Human Rights Council. (laughs) I want to say that again for effect. Saudi Arabia, the same country that has sentenced uh, Raf Badawi to a thousand lashes and ten years in prison. For having a blog. For having a blog talking about free speech. And they recently uh, convicted a man and sentenced him to crucifixion for apostasy, apparently. This is the same country that surgically removes hands for thievery murders people or executes them for homosexuality. Women can't use the same entrances to shopping malls as men. Women cannot drive in Saudi Arabia. This is the same country. They are on the the, the UN Human Rights Council. So, so again, laugh. Insert laugh here. Now what they're doing is protesting the inclusion of gay rights in UN development agenda. That's right. So... Using their newfound position on the UN Human Rights Council, they are exerting pressure on the United Nations to object to the inclusion of gay rights in this UN development agenda. Saudi Arabia is protesting any references to homosexuality in a sweeping new agenda for global development, saying it runs, quote, counter to Islamic law. Saudi Foreign Minister Idol Ah Jubir. Good enough. Told a UN summit. <laughs> Idol world- Ah Jubir. <laughs> Pretty page, everybody. I did the best I can. <laughs> told a UN summit of world leaders Sunday that, quote, mentioning sex in the text to us means exactly male and female. Mentioning family means consisting of a married man and woman. He asserted his country's right to not follow any rules that regulate any, quote, deviations from that belief as the world moves forward on the new development agenda. I just realized how beautifully these two sections of follow-up fit with one another. Because those same things that this animal from Saudi Arabia, the same things he just said, could have been spoken by Kim Davis. Or Mike Huckabee. Or Rick Santorum. Well, they'll never admit that. But the so-called sustainable development goals include a target to ensure universal access to sexual and reproductive health and reproductive rights by 2013. By 2030. Some states, like Saudi Arabia and the Vatican, are concerned that references to sexual rights include rights for gay people. Uh, That's something to be concerned about. Yeah, that's... It's certainly something to raise objections to within the, the entire infrastructure, the bureaucratic infrastructure of the United Nations. Wait a minute. You mean you're going to... The gonna, world's business. You're going to care about the sexual and reproductive health of all humans? <laughs> no. No, I'm just saying, why are they so worried about what two people do in a bedroom? What, why is that a concern for them? Well, for that matter, why is it a concern for Kim Davis? It doesn't affect her. It's not like she has a closed caption TV monitor with with constant the inside of gay men's bedrooms playing. I mean, she may. I don't know. I've never been inside of Kim Davis's bedroom. But she's not forced to witness that. She's not forced to have anything to do with two dudes and what they're doing other than issuing them their marriage license through the course of her duties, of her job. You know what they say about porn searches in southern states. Yeah. They're frequent. Well, I mean... And they they are also frequent of, uh, of the gay stuff. 
frequent of some stuff. Real good stuff. Some stuff. All right. Let's move on to more sobering, somber news. Once again, we have another shooting situation at a school, this time in Roseburg, Oregon. I actually have an aunt who lives in Roseburg, or I don't know, I'm not in close contact with her still, but maybe she doesn't anymore. But I have family who who live in Roseburg, and um, it's a tragedy. And I, I just, I, I want to address this because every time one of these happens, and listen, I'll be the first to admit, these happen too often, too frequently. One per year is too many mass shootings, school shootings murderous rampages it's it's too many but there is hyperbole on both sides and the fact that this is an emotionally charged issue makes a lot of the arguments surrounding what we should do in the wake of these these happenings illogical and emotional so let's talk about what happened first yeah, that's what I was going to say, because we have a lot of listeners that are not in this country, and I don't know how well, you know, our... I think our audience is pretty well informed, but let's... I'm saying our country's kind of situations are reported. Sure, sure. Well, but let's let's first also say that Brittany and I have talked about it, and we have chosen, and this may seem cheesy, and it used to seem cheesy to me, but especially in this case, because this shooter in his ramblings on different uh, threads and online, talked about the fame that would become him and that has become other mass shooters, that they get fame out of this. So we're not going to use his name. And that might sound, you know, superficial and just a surface move. But you know what? Uh, Even if it is, we're going to, I'm just going to choose to do it because fuck that guy. So the shooter was a 26-year-old student, and he fatally shot nine people and injured nine others on campus. And then he killed himself following a gun battle with responding police officers. And there's been a lot of conflicting reports about what exactly happened as it was going on. Do you want me to talk a little bit about him before I go on? Yeah, sure. So people have described him as, you know, the typical what you hear, um, very withdrawn, quiet, um, wasn't very open. Neighbors have said they would try to talk to him and ask him how he was doing. Uh, He wasn't very open or friendly, and he always wore the same outfit of combat boots and green army pants. Right. He's originally from Great Britain and then lived right around here in Torrance, California, which is Los Angeles County probably uh, 20 miles from here, 25 miles or so, and then moved from here to to Roseburg, Oregon. Right, and there's one thing that he really liked, and that was guns. He mm-hmm. collected guns, handguns and rifles. He regularly went to shooting ranges with his mom. So he liked to go hunting, liked to go to the shooting range. Guns were yeah. important. Um so the media, after his name was reported, started finding his so- social media profiles, and they found that, you know, he was against organized religion. Um, he because of or not because of his his British connection, but it makes it more makes more sense that he would be interested in it or uh, uh, 
exposed to it, he showed some affinity toward the IRA, the Irish Republican Army, and that whole thing over there as well. So they found some comments, and he would talk about how he's never had a girlfriend, um, he's never been with anyone, no man, no... Kind of an Elliot Rogers kind of a deal. Right. No woman, nor man, nor dog, or animal, or any other. Don't know why he needed to say that. Hmm. Uh, Said he didn't have a lot going on in his life, and it seemed like nothing was going right for him. Um, So it was clear that he wasn't doing too well. And like you said, he also admired these people that have committed mass shootings most recently vester flanagan the guy who killed the uh the on-air news reporters but then also sandy hook dylan roof so his parents have struggled financially over the years uh filed bankruptcy in 1992 and then his father filed again in 2002 so they're the media is really digging up a lot of things to kind of just talk about his background right well they have to cover 24 hours a day seven days a week right and i mean some of these things are interesting but there are just always similarities between these shooters yeah sure yeah so one of the things that's being reported is that he went around and he asked people if they were christian when he was shooting them and if they said they were christian then he killed them this is being reported right and if they didn't say they were christian then he shot them like in the leg like he still shot them but he didn't kill them Hmm. but you know it's been a couple days this happened on thursday it's been a couple of days and now more details are coming out and, and aren't we finding out now there are other reports or uh, similar reports of what he said and did during the attacks from survivors, but a more nuanced view than maybe we heard in the beginning. So Stephanie Solace, the mother of Rand McGowan, another student who survived, said she was told by her son that the shooter asked victims whether they were religious, but did not specifically target Christians. Solace said it was like telling the victims, quote, you're going to be meeting your maker. Solace said to the Solace said the gunman told victims, quote, this won't hurt very long before shooting them. So there are some reports that he asked if people were Christian. Now these reports are coming out saying, no, it was more of a are you religious? Because you believe in God. That means like, that do you believe go- in an afterlife. Right. That means you're gonna go meet your maker. Right. And that would make more sense than specifically targeting Christians, right? Because there are other people aside from Christians that believe in God, believe in an afterlife. Sure, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it w- what it does is it really flies in the face of the narrative that Fox News whoop, missed it. Fox News It really flies in the face of the narrative that they would like to portray, which is continuing this this bullshit that there is a war on Christians. There is a beginning of some kind of a Christian holocaust that you hear about from the likes of, you know, Josh Feuerstein and his vertical video ramblings. Um, They're running with that. When it turns out, all you needed to do was wait a couple of days and wait for more details to be ironed out. Wait for more access to survivors. Right. So you can interview people a little bit more in depth to find out exactly what happened. Right. Because, I mean, as soon as this was said, 
this has been picked up and it's been being it, this narrative is being talked about everywhere. Yeah. Ben Carson is probably the number one person to be advancing this narrative. Oh yeah, with the I am a Christian hashtag and, and profile picture yeah, on right. Facebook. Well, which I did change my profile picture on Facebook too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, listen, I understand solidarity. As a comment under the picture, I say, really, I am a Christian is supposed to stand in solidarity with the victims of the shooting in Oregon. Quit acting like you're the member of some persecuted minority. If you're a Christian, you represent over 70% of the population of this country. If you want to post a picture in support, how about you rally in one loud voice against gun violence? That is why I posted this picture as as a is a way to make a statement about how ridiculous it is that they're trying to capitalize on this this senseless tragedy and make it about Christians and this this fabricated war on Christianity and not about what it's actually about. So it just it's a bummer. So in the hours that preceded the shooting and like we we made brief mention of them, the media goes crazy and digs up all kinds of stuff related and unrelated to the things that are happening. Well, it was uncovered that the sheriff in this area, the local sheriff, had previously put on his Facebook page um, things that were in support of and in agreement with the belief that the Sandy Hook the Connecticut school shooting that killed over 20 young children, that it was a conspiracy theory. And he has been called to the carpet several times and is now denying that he even posted it. Thrust onto the national stage after the massacre at Umpqua Community College, Douglas County Sheriff John Hanlon talks top and isn't afraid to share his opinion. I will not name the shooter. I will not give him the credit he probably sought prior to this horrific and cowardly act. His stance on the shooter cheered by many. But some of his other beliefs are putting him smack dab in the middle of the fight over gun control. A letter he sent to Vice President Joe Biden one month after the shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary, one of the deadliest in American history, gives everyone a good look at his unwavering stance on gun control. It says in part, gun control is not the answer to preventing heinous crimes like school shootings. But now a mass shooting has hit him at home. So we asked him about his thoughts as the entire country asks, why is this happening in America yet again? And what will stop it? Can you talk to me about your stance on the fact that you feel like gun control is not a potential answer okay. yeah. to these Okay, I, I, I understand your interest in that, and I can appreciate um, that you have an interest in my position. But like I've said a number of times this morning, um, we are focusing on getting this investigation completed. But he did talk to us a bit about a controversial post on his Facebook page that is also getting attention now. Long before the Umpqua College shooting, he reposted a viral video. That video delves into conspiracy theories involving the Sandy Hook shooting. It goes as far as to question whether some of the grieving parents were crisis actors. He writes, this makes me wonder who we can trust anymore, and goes on to say, 
Watch, listen, and keep an open mind. Or did no. you post it? No. You didn't post it? I, no. No. I, I know what you're referring to. Yeah, we're just trying no. to clear that, that up. That's not a conspiracy theory belief that I have. So he's, as far as I can tell, just straight up lying about this because it's been verified that this was on his page and when it got brought into the the forefront he deleted the post right so he posted it january 13th 2013 and after this was put out into the media he deleted it on friday so people know when it disappeared as well but the thing is everyone got screenshots of it before he deleted it right and that's kind of the essence of the internet so sorry but so here's the deal is a sheriff in this country is an elected position. It's not like a chief of police that gets appointed by the mayor and just hired, and they have a round of interviews and they pick someone to be the chief of police of a city. He's the sheriff of the county. He's an elected official. For me, I think that believing in that type of a heinous conspiracy theory is worthy of losing your position. I, if I were over there, I would I would start some kind of a recall proceeding to get rid of this fucking nut. Because is he really capable? Is he is he up to the duties of being sheriff? Does he have the cognitive ability to do his job? Ugh. Well, and we we've talked about it before. I think the Sandy Hook conspiracy theory is particularly disturbing to me because they believe that these parents that were grieving the loss of their kids are paid actors paid by the government to advance Barack Obama's gun control policies. Right. That's what people believe. So if he, you know, shared this video and he's like, huh, this really makes you think no, because people should watch that and go, yeah, this is garbage. This is not true. This is insulting, quite frankly. Tens and tens of parents who lost their beautiful little innocent children. Yeah, it's insulting. It is extremely insulting to those parents. Yeah. And hurtful. It's not even insulting or offensive. It's fucking hurtful. Right, to those parents. And that's the main concern. That's who people should be concerned about. You're ripping off a scab that's not yet healed. I mean, it's, it's terrible and destructive and thoughtless. And do we want thoughtless people in the employ of the government, in the employ of the people, to to be charged with arrest and life and death situations? I mean, ugh. Anyway, on this same day of the shooting, President Obama came out and gave a speech. And very heartfelt, very emotional, very genuine... Off, and that's not uh, that's not an adjective that I'm going to freely give President Obama because I think a lot of times he is too scripted and too robotic. But uh, I'm going to play the entirety of the speech, and it's about 12 minutes long, a little longer than 12 minutes. So if you're if you've already heard it and you'd like to to skip what he says, just go ahead and skip ahead 12 minutes, and we will talk about it. The mass shooting in America this time in a community college in Oregon. That means there are more American families, moms, dads, children, whose lives have been changed forever. That means there's another community stunned with grief and communities across the country 
forced to relieve their own anguish, and parents across the country who are scared because they know it might have been their families or their children. I've been to Roseburg, Oregon. There are really good people there. I want to thank all the first responders whose bravery likely saved some lives today. Federal law enforcement has been on the scene in a supporting role, and we've offered to stay and help as much as Roseburg needs for as long as they need. In the coming days, we'll learn about the victims, young men and women who are studying and learning and working hard, their eyes set on the future, their dreams on what they could make of their lives. And America will wrap everyone who's grieving with our prayers and our love. But, as I said just a few months ago, and I said a few months before that, and I said each time we see one of these mass shootings, our thoughts and prayers are not enough. It's not enough. It does not capture the heartache and grief and anger that we should feel. And it does nothing to prevent this carnage from being inflicted someplace else in America. Next week, or a couple of months from now, we don't yet know why this individual did what he did. And it's fair to say that anybody who does this has a sickness in their minds. Regardless of what they think their motivations may be. But we are not the only country on earth that has people with mental illnesses or want to do harm to other people. We are the only advanced country on earth that sees these kinds of mass shootings every few months. You know, earlier this year, I answered a question in an interview by saying, the United States of America is the one advanced nation on Earth in which we do not have sufficient common sense gun safety laws, even in the face of repeated mass killings. And later that day, there was a mass shooting at a movie theater in Lafayette, Louisiana. That day. Somehow, this has become routine. The reporting is routine. My response here at this podium ends up being routine. The conversation in the aftermath of it, we've become numb to this. We've talked about this after Columbine and Blacksburg, after Tucson, uh, after Newtown after Aurora, after Charleston. It cannot be this easy for somebody who wants to inflict harm on other people to get his or her hands on a gun. And what's become routine, of course, is the response of those who oppose any kind of common sense gun legislation. 
Right now, I can imagine the press release is being cranked out. We need more guns, they'll argue. Fewer gun safety laws. Does anybody really believe that? There are scores of responsible gun owners in this country. They know that's not true. We know because of the polling that says the majority of Americans understand we should be changing these laws, including the majority of responsible, law-abiding gun owners. There is a gun for roughly every man, woman, and child in America. So how can you, with a straight face, make the argument that more guns will make us safer? We know that states with the most gun laws tend to have the fewest gun deaths. So the notion that gun laws don't work or just will make it uh, harder for law-abiding citizens and criminals will still get their guns, it's not borne out by the evidence. We know that other countries, in response to one mass shooting, have been able to craft laws that almost eliminate mass shootings. Friends of ours, allies of ours, Great Britain, Australia, countries like ours. So we know there are ways to prevent it. And of course, what's also routine is that somebody somewhere will comment and say, Obama politicized this issue. Well, this is something we should politicize. It is relevant to our common life together, to the body politic. I would ask news organizations, because I won't put these facts forward, have news organizations tally up the number of Americans who've been killed through terrorist attacks over the last decade and the number of Americans who've been killed by gun violence. And post those side by side on your news reports. This won't be information coming from me, it will be coming from you. We spend over a trillion dollars and pass countless laws and devote entire agencies to preventing terrorist attacks on our soil, and rightfully so. And yet, we have a Congress that explicitly blocks us from even collecting data on how we could potentially reduce gun deaths. How can that be? This is a political choice that we make to allow this to happen every few months in America. We collectively are answerable to those families who lose their loved ones because of our, our inaction. When Americans are killed in mine disasters, we work to make mines safer. When Americans are killed in floods and hurricanes, we make communities safer. When roads are unsafe, we fix them to reduce auto fatalities. 
We have seatbelt laws because we know it saves lives. So the notion that gun violence is somehow different, that our freedom and our Constitution prohibits any modest regulation of how we use a deadly weapon when there are law-abiding gun owners all across the country who could hunt and protect their families and do everything they do under such regulations. Doesn't make sense. So, tonight, as those of us who are lucky enough to hug our kids a little closer, uh, are thinking about the families who aren't so fortunate, I'd ask the American people to think about how they can get our government to change these laws and to save lives and to let young people grow up. And that will require a change of politics on this issue. And it will require that the American people individually, whether you are a Democrat or a Republican or an Independent, when you decide to vote for somebody, are making a determination as to whether this cause of continuing death for innocent people should be a relevant factor in your decision. If you think this is a problem, then you should expect your elected officials to reflect your views. And I would particularly ask America's gun owners, who are using those guns properly, safely, to hunt, for sport, for protecting their families, to think about whether your views are properly being represented by the organization that uh, suggested speaking for you. And each time this happens, I'm going to bring this up. Each time this happens, I am going to say that we can actually do something about it, but we're going to have to change our laws. And this is not something I can do by myself. I've got to have a Congress, and I've got to have state legislatures and governors who are willing to work with me on this. I hope and pray that I don't have to come out again during my tenure as president to offer my condolences to families in these circumstances. But based on my experience as president, I can't guarantee that. And that's terrible to say. And it can change. May God bless the memories of those who were killed today. May he bring comfort to their families and courage to the injured as they fight 
their way back. And may he give us the strength to come together and find the courage to change. So he said a lot of good stuff there. A lot of genuine stuff. Yeah, I found it to be pretty powerful. That's the first time I've heard it, and all I've heard is negative things from you about it. Well, I'm getting ready to say some negative things. I know. And it's warranted. The things I'm saying are warranted. They're justified. Because with all the the beautiful things, having God bless them, and we need to do things, and he's the leader of our country. I realize he's the head of the executive branch, only one of the three branches of government. But when he says each time that this happens, I'm going to come out and I'm going to say something. And I'm going to say that we need to do something. What I don't hear after he says that is what the fuck we need to do. Why don't you lead President Obama? Make a suggestion on what we should do. Don't just identify the problem. Any idiot can simply identify what's wrong. Come up with a with a viable solution. Suggest to Congress, the morons in Congress, what they should take on, what they should do. He doesn't do that. Instead, he passes the buck. You guys should figure out what to do. I'll sit here and critique. I'll sit here and complain how nothing ever gets done about it when I'm in a position to influence what happens. Well, I think he was, I think at the end, he mentioned that given the history of his presidency, if he tried to do something, it wouldn't go over well. Okay, well then still make a, that's leadership. At least you tried. Do everything you can do. Make a statement. Rally the support of the American people behind you in your specific plan. And then if it doesn't go anywhere, you did everything you can do. That's where he fails. That is where he is failing in this matter. And it's not an easy matter. I'm not saying, oh, it's just as easy as this. I'm not saying that. It's clearly tough. I have mixed feelings about the entire gun ownership issue or the gun violence, how we deal with it. Because I believe very, very strongly that it is, it is a matter of constitutionality. It is a matter of liberty. It is a matter of our freedom and our inalienable rights under our constitution that we are granted not by the government, but by our natures, the right to own weapons, to own a firearm. It's in our Constitution. The government serves to protect that inalienable right. So it is a sticky issue of what do we do? Where do we go from here? How do we deal with the situation we currently are living under? We have people who are mentally unable to own weapons because they pose a violent threat to the public. Something does need to be done to keep these weapons out of the hands of these dangerous people. Absolutely that needs to be done. But what exactly is it? 
because there's a balancing act that we, we're in the middle of right now relative to protecting my right as a law-abiding citizen to own a weapon, which I don't, by the way. I'm not a gun owner. Former Marine, Jesse Dollimore, not a gun owner. A guy who everyone thinks owns guns, yeah, not a gun owner, not my thing. Don't really care. Don't feel unsafe. Don't feel I need one for protection. I'm not a hunter, so why own one? But if I want to, it is my right to do so because I'm a law-abiding guy. So what we have to decide as a country is how we're going to balance precariously between not allowing the mentally ill or the violent to own weapons and not infringing upon the freedoms and liberties of law-abiding, constitutionally protected citizens of our country. I'm not saying it's easy. It's super difficult. In fact, it's so difficult that our pussy politicians are avoiding the issue at all costs. In the face of 10 people being murdered in a community college in Oregon, our president takes the coward's way out and doesn't offer up a solution. He's a smart man. He very well could have. The cowards in Congress, no one steps up with a viable, actual solution to solve what we face. No one. So so who... So who does? Who does step up and offer the solution? No one has. Right. So where are you hoping it comes from? You you think that it is the government's responsibility to figure this out? That's where you're hoping the solution comes from? It has to. It's the one thing that he said that I do think took a little bravery, and it's that he does believe this issue needs to be politicized. That's the first time I've heard that. Because up to this point, it's been, ah, they're trying to politicize it. And... I do also believe that it should be politicized because that is the only way by which this will be fixed is through politics and through our system. It's the only way. But it's the delicate way. Like I've talked, we have to, we have to create that balance. But they're all cowards. We have to find someone with the courage who's in a position to make the change to do it. Well, you hear a lot of the GOP presidential candidates talking about how, you know, we need to be looking into mental health. I mean, they're they're using the same talking points that you typically hear. And those aren't solutions either. No, they're so good the I- solutions that are being talked about aren't solutions either. They're good ideas, but they're good ideas for our health care infrastructure. They're not good ideas to stop gun violence immediately. Well, you can't have you can't have a, a mental health registry of you're right of everybody exactly that's another liberty issue and freedom issue and privacy issue that we face well especially when it's not it's not grounded in reality because those who are mentally ill are most likely to have violence committed against them that is correct yeah so even though you have these you know handfuls of people that are committing these crimes that you could say have whatever they have um it's not it seems to be a talking point that is used against people who have mental illness. And that's really disturbing because most people who have mental illness are not violent. You're right. And the, the, the policies that we need to pass are going to be affecting the most, 
they're not going to be affecting the ones who slip through the cracks or the one-offs. They're going to be affecting the most. And that therein lies the problem. It's not just, and like you just pointed out, it's not just uh, implications that will affect the law-abiding citizen gun owner. It's also the, 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 these implications that will affect the, the large number of mentally ill or people who suffer from some kind of stigmatic or stigma surrounding type of, uh, of, of diagnosis relative to mental illness. It, there's a lot of moving parts here. It's, it is a complex issue. That is why we elect smart people to represent us in government and come up with genius ideas to govern and run under the guy under the 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 guidance of the constitution well and you have ben carson's solution is to deal with the fact that people are terrorizing christians uh, anyway let's move on <clears throat> let's let's for sure move on here um there are no easy answers but uh, listen and the reason i'm not coming up with an answer right now is cuz i don't have one because i'm not smart enough to come up with a solution, but I'm not the president of the United States. I'm not the Harvard-educated constitutional expert, Barack Obama. I'm dumb guy Jesse Dollimore with a microphone. Something needs to be done, and that balancing act needs to be needs to be tended to. At least you're real honest. All right. All right, well, this is supposed to be the mid-roll, and here we are <laughs> over an hour in. Yee! Support for I Doubt It with Dollimore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode as much or as little as you'd like. Comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward, one podcast at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dolomore. If you would like to have your people, right? Like Kathy said, she has her people that she tells people. That's right. Yeah. My people give me the news. My people give me the uh, summary of the debate. <laughs> My people listen to the debate and analyzed it for me. Yes. <laughs> you too could tell people that. And you'd be telling the truth if you become a Patreon supporter. And I want to thank our latest Patreon supporter. We talked about Barbara last time. We'll talk about John today. Thank you very much for joining the ever-growing ranks of loyal and lovely Patreon supporters. And your stickers are in the mail. They're actually not exactly in the mail, but they will be tomorrow. Okay. And that's another thing. When you... And also Alexander. Did I mention Alexander? I'm not sure if I mentioned Alexander, but Alexander, thank you too so much. I mean, we they come in, in waves and I, eh, I'm i a spacey douche, so... Thank you. A spacey douche. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway... No, you are not, sir. Let's... We've got just a few minutes left in the program. I'm thinking we might want to skip Dolomocracy altogether or just briefly go through it. Can we just do the Ben Carson story? Yes. Okay. Let's do... Oh, actually, let's do the Ben Carson and the GOP waning on Trump. And let's skip Hillary Clinton on SNL. If you'd like to hear Hillary Clinton and her, her 
her appearance on SNL, go to YouTube and uh, Google that shit or YouTube that shit. So, yeah, let's get to Ben Carson. Ben Carson, man of science, Ben Carson has now, well, he has just fully come on board as a nutter and he is admitting to his six-day creation story belief. Dr. Ben Carson, a pediatric neurosurgeon, National Academy of Sciences Institute of Medicine member, and the author of six best-selling books, said he believes in the six-day creation as described in the Bible, (laughs) and that there is abundant geological evidence there was a worldwide flood. Oh, Jesus. Dr. Carson, who served on the President's Council of Bioethics and was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, also said the very first chapter of the Bible, the book of Genesis, discounts the notion of Darwinian evolution by stating that God created every living thing after its own kind. Quote, But why is it people try so hard to get rid of God, said Dr. Carson at a celebration of creation conference, as reported by the Adventist News Network. Quote, you go back to the very first chapter of the Bible, and I'm not a hard and fast person who says the earth is only 6,000 years old, but I do believe in the six-day creation. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I'm not crazy enough to think that the earth is only 6,000 or 7,000 or even 10,000 years old. But God damn it, that six days, the entire earth and all of its inhabitants being made, it sounds all right to me. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It doesn't say when he created them, except for in the beginning. The <laughs> earth could have been here for a long time before he started creating things on it. But when he did start doing that, he made it very specifically clear to us the evening and the morning were the next day because he knew that people would come along and try to say, oh, it was millions and millions of years. Because he knew people were going to come along and say it. That's why, Brittany Page. If he knew that, could he, (laughs) that means he knew a lot of other things that he also could have put in the Bible, you know, like about scientific discoveries. About disease and how to prevent disease and infection. Those things would have been real helpful. Real helpful. Yeah. About gangrene and wounds and how to heal leprosy. I mean, these are very vital things that could have been included because... God knew that was going to come up. He knew someone would come along and try to say. <laughs> um, so in reference to Darwinian evolution, Dr. Carson. He knew millions of years, millions of people, millions and millions upon millions of people would die of cancer even through the, tw- the 21st century. He knew that, yet he chose, eh, we're going to leave out any cancer cure in the Bible. Let's uh, let's make sure that those queers don't get together or we'll hit them with rocks until they're dead, though. Dr. Carson continued, quote, And then what else did he say in the very first chapter? That each thing brought forth after its own kind. Because he knew people would come along and say, you know, this changed into that and this changed into that and this into that. So at the very beginning of the Bible, he puts that to rest. He knew, Brittany, he knew in the beginning that men and women were genetically the same, the same mentally, we're, we're all the same. However, women should keep their mouths shut and their heads covered in church. And if they have a question about what was talked about, God damn it, you go talk to your husband afterward because he 
has authority over women, and no woman will have authority over man. He knew, Brittany. He knew. Dr. Ben Carson, 64, was educated at Yale University and the University of Miss Michigan. He was the director of pediatric neurosurgery at John Hopkins Hospital and was also a professor of oncology and pediatrics. Hmm. So just wrapping that up because, I mean, this guy is truly fascinating. He is a smart guy. He is. He really is a smart guy. He is. He's just real fucking dumb. No. No. <laughs> No, that's it. And this is what is surprising because, you know, we know another creationist who is very intelligent. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people think, you know, these people who are creationists, oh, what a bunch of idiots. They are smart. Well, I think they're able to compartmentalize and ignore certain things. Oh, of course they are. Yeah. But overall, they, they have intelligence. It's not that they're walking around and just like bumping into walls and they're dummies, you right, know? Right, right, right. <laughs> All right, quickly, because we're running out of time, let's move on uh, about how the GOP is waning in their support for Donald Trump. This is from 538, the good folks, led by Nate Silver over at 538.com. Trump has 22% in the Huffington Post pollster aggregate of live interview national primary polls, which is down from 28% at the beginning of September. And it's hard not to see the debate as a turning point for Trump, according to 538. <laughs> Every live interview poll conducted in September before the debate had Trump at 27% or higher. Every survey since has had him at 26% or lower. What exactly about the debate caused Trump's numbers to tumble? 538 says it may have been the additional exposure of popular Republicans, such as Ben Carson and Carly Fiorina and Marco Rubio. But a large part of Trump's decline appears to have to do more with Trump himself. Trump's net favorability rating, the share of Republicans who have a favorable view of him, minus the share who have an unfavorable view, sits at 13 percentage points, according to the most recent live interview polls. That's the lowest it's been since the beginning of August. Hmm. So fewer Republicans are liking Donald Trump. Good news, everybody. Good news. Some sanity is being restored, maybe, maybe just a little bit. So 538 says at this point in the campaign, Trump's popularity is far lower than you'd expect from a future nominee. Most nominees, parenthetically not including incumbent presidents, have either been very popular or not well known at this stage. Trump's well known and not very popular. <laughs> So Nate Silver, a couple weeks ago, said that Donald Trump will not be the nominee. And this looks like some evidence supporting Nate Silver's claim. Yeah, that's right. We'll, of course, see as time goes on. But right now, Donald Trump going down. All right. More evidence that I am a political genius. No? She's shaking her head, everybody. She is shaking. Wait, you're going to break. Stop. Stop doing it. You're going to hurt yourself. You're shaking it too hard. I'm actually just not <laughs> responding to you at all. Not even looking at you. Yeah, it's, that's actually more factual. Well, let's move on. Let's let's get ready to wrap this up. Um, we need to create a new segment like the, the what the fuck or the WTF or the ugh, are you kidding me or what in the hell is going on? Maybe listeners should submit some ideas, but has everybody heard about this blind lady or... She's now blind. She wasn't born blind, but she has apparently some, sounds kind of made up to me, but some, some 
mental condition called BIID, where she feels like she should have been born disabled. So she, she always felt like she should have been born blind. And now she's made herself blind and finally feels complete. Am I summing that up well enough? Yeah. It's weird. I mean, we don't know if this is for sure true, but it's being reported. So you, you even have your doubts about that. Um, it's just so odd. You're skeptical. It's very, yeah, I'm skeptical, but it is being reported through multiple media outlets, you know, not just Infowars and and things that aren't real. So, um, (laughs) her name is Jewel Shipping. She's 30 years old. Yep. And she has what is apparently called body integrity identity disorder. And you asked me, you said, is this a real thing? And I said, I didn't know how to answer that question because it has a website but I've never heard of it before. It has a website. It's got to be real. I I haven't heard of it. I have never heard of it before. I There are cases. I've heard of a guy who always felt like his leg w- that was attached below his knee was not his leg. And he always uh, wigged out about his leg and wanted it gone. He wanted it cut off. And... He finally convinced some doctor somewhere after several psychiatric sessions or whatever that it needed to go. And they did it. They cut his leg off. And now he finally feels complete. Mm-hmm. So maybe there is something to it psychologically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Psychiatrically. I mean, I don't want to discount this woman's experience. I mean, this this is a North Carolina woman. She says she's happier than ever after she fulfilled her lifelong wish of becoming blind. So she had someone like put numbing shit in her eye. And then put like uh, like drain cleaner or something, I think, is, is what I read, to where it eventually blinded her. Yeah, she says that her psychologist did this, uh, put numbing drops in her eyes and then a couple of drops of drain cleaner. That would do the trick. I don't know about that, but I kind of want to go into this woman's experience. She says that she was fascinated with blindness starting very young when she was a child she says by the time i was six i remember that thinking about being blind made me feel comfortable she said that when she was a teenager she started wearing thick black sunglasses and even got her first cane when she was 18 by age 20 she was fluent in braille quote i was pretending to be blind but the idea kept coming up in my head and by the time i was 21 it was a non-stop alarm that was going off wow so it's almost something that she uh she fostered she she nurtured yeah so she said when this drain cleaner situation happened that it hurt very badly um she said that the drain cleaner was going down her cheek burning her skin but all she could think was quote i'm going blind it is going to be okay wow yeah i mean listen obviously there's that part of of me that's a little morbid and that wants to laugh and think this is nutty as shit and then the other part is Wow. Imagine if you were going through this terrible thing and you really, really wanted to be blind. I think whoever blinded her did her a disservice and they should have really. She needs to be treated. I mean, she needs to something. This is crazy. Well, I would also definitely want to learn more about this. And I think there should have been a lot of time spent learning about her situation and learning about what this meant. And this is very um, 
unheard unheard of. (laughs) I have never heard of it before. And but there's obviously I mean, she's feeling something here because even this quote, when I woke up the following day after the drain cleaner situation, I was joyful until I turned on to my back and opened my eyes. I was so enraged when I saw the TV screen. So she had failed to become blind and she was enraged. Yeah, that's crazy. But I mean, and I mean, I say that colloquially. I don't mean, yeah, what a nutty bitch. I mean, that's it's wow. certainly it's very odd. It's yeah. extremely odd. Uh, and uh, like you said, there are other cases of this body integrity identity disorder. There's a website. And like I said, dot <laughs> org, real official. Right. And you could go learn more about it. If someone knows more stories about it. Or, yeah, or let has, us know. Yeah. Call Six, in and tell us. Six, five, seven, four, six, four, seventy six, zero nine. It's been a full show. That's the first time that I've dropped the number. And also. While you're while you're taking in all this information, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. While you're at it and you're thinking about all the things and the ways you can connect with the show and the things you can do for the show, why don't you go and counteract L. Samaroff's terrible one-star review about how Brittany and I hate one another? Go to iTunes and just rate and review. It takes a minute. We've already received a couple reviews since then, and we would appreciate it very, very much, especially if you're a new listener and you've had a few episodes to listen to Brittany and I just really despise one another. All right. Well, with that, we will leave you. We love you. We appreciate you guys. Goddamn. I mean, really, it is awesome. This thing we are doing, moving the conversation forward, having very difficult sometimes conversations, uh, when we start things especially about gun control and abortion and these different very difficult topics Brittany and I talk about it prior to episodes and we know that these are conversations that not only do Brittany and I not agree on but I know the bulk of my audience isn't going to agree with me and uh, I'm okay with that I really want to hear from you sound off go to the Facebook page message us there call in leave us a voicemail email we want to hear from you we really do because this is a conversation amongst friends and we do consider you friends for britney page i am jesse dollamore once again this has been i doubt it Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.